Hello, Royal Community, and welcome to this week's episode. Just before we get going, I wanted to let you know that in today's episode, there's going to be some really hard-hitting adult content and also some really hard-hitting gore coming up in this episode. Make sure whoever's around you listening, they're not little ones because it might be a bit too much for them. So put your headphones in and let's get on with today's episode. and welcome to this week's episode of Keeping Out the Windsors. I'm Rachel. And I'm Michelle. Welcome back, Royal Community, to part two of our Marie Antoinette summer special. So last week we spoke about the rise of Marie Antoinette and this week we're going to be talking about the fall of Marie Antoinette. Oh, I hate a sad story. <laughs> Royal Community, get yourself a cup of tea. Let's get on with it. <laughs> so in last week's episode, we left you on a lighter note. Marie and Louis were happy. They had four children. Their personal lives seemed to be going well. Royal Community, you've probably heard the famous quote, let them eat cake. Let's debunk this because did Marie Antoinette actually say this? No, she didn't. <laughs> Synonymous with her though, isn't it? It is so synonymous with her. So the actual phrase is qu'il mangeant de la brioche, which I'm probably butchering the French language right there. I love a brioche. Bring it on. I'm all ears. This phrase is said to be said 100 years prior by Spanish princess Marie-Therese, bride of Louis XIV, in a slightly different form, if there was no bread, let the people eat the crust. Oh. Over time it's changed to let them eat cake. Oh, this is like that whispers thing at school, isn't it? Where you say one thing and then it turns into another thing. Yeah, exactly. So the reason this phrase came about is because at this time, France is going through a flour shortage. There wasn't much flour to make bread. And so that's how this quote came about because she heard the people were moaning that they didn't have enough bread. So it's, well, if they have no bread, let them eat cake. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we've got no flour, so we can't make cake. <laughs> we, don't, yeah. we can't make bread, you know. It's so interesting, isn't it, how something that is so integral to the personality of somebody, a historical figure, it lives on in history, but actually there's no truth to it. Yeah. As she grew older, her style begins to change. Now, she preferred to wear a chemise rather than the grand habit, which was a tight bodice stiffened with whalebone. And this is what she would have worn at court at Versailles. But when she was at Petit Train on, she wanted to be more easy breezy, just out with the kids. She wants a bit of leisure wear, doesn't she? She does. (laughs) The chemise was all the rage in England, adopted by her friend Georgiana, the Duchess of Devonshire. Now, Royal Community, you probably heard about her. And, Rach, we've seen the Devonshire tiara, haven't we? We've seen a Devonshire tiara and we've seen a portrait of the Duchess of Devonshire at Kensington Palace. Yeah, oh, honestly, everything's connected, isn't it? So Georgiana was the height of fashion herself in England and obviously Marie Antoinette was the height of fashion in France. The problem with this is that the silk and the lace merchants relied on the support of people like Marie Antoinette to keep their trade running. The popular style was coined dress à la reine dressed like the Queen. And so when she adopted this new style of dress, ladies would follow, which meant the trade for the silk and the lace industries began to dwindle. If the orders aren't being placed, no work's coming in for these merchants. It's like when Catherine buys British designers, she's helping the British fashion industry. Exactly. Yeah. In August 1783, the annual salon at the Royal Academy at the Louvre opened and among the paintings was a new portrait of Marie Antoinette by Elizabeth Vigée Le Brun, who was a famous portrait artist 
and she's painted many portraits of Marie Antoinette over the years. Marie was dressed in the new natural fashion with a white chemise, no jewellery, her hair loose beneath a big straw hat decorated with ribbons and feathers. It was immediately criticised and panned as it looked like she was wearing a piece of underwear, giving the impression that you were seeing her in a private moment rather than seeing the Queen of France. And we know that there's so many rules and expectations that's connected to her position. That would have been quite a shocking painting to look at, wouldn't it? It was very shocking and it caused a scandal and was removed from the Royal Academy and replaced with another portrait named A La Rose, which is probably now one of the most famous paintings that we have of Marie Antoinette. So in this portrait, she is wearing what is known as robe a la Francaise, satin trimmed with lace, a pearl necklace and pearl bracelets on each wrist. And if you listen to last week's episode, I spoke about two bracelets that were sold the other year at Sotheby's and these are the exact bracelets that she wore in this portrait oh there we go so that is the provenance then isn't it yeah and so this outfit was seen more befitting of the Queen of France rather than the chemise that she was wearing in the previous portrait it makes me sad though Rach because you can tell that the slated painting was actually her that's her personality that is her having some autonomy and then they just went back with no this is what we want you to be like She can't ever have her own identity. And I know that's the world that she was in at the time. That is my own 21st century approach to identity. But I feel really sad for her. Yeah. And it's at this time that a nickname is coiled for her, Madame Deficit. Oh, wow. Her spending is seen as to be out of control. Her allowance went from 96,000 livres up to 200,000 livres a year. There is another famous painting that was painted by Virgilie Brun of Marie Antoinette and her children. But, Shell, the cradle is empty. And that is because little Sophie Helene Beatrice dies on the 9th of June, 1787. And the painting is not completed before she passes away. Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't know this. She dies of tuberculosis (gasps) and Marie is devastated. Oh, Oh, I oh, that is absolutely so... devastating. How old was she? It was just before her first birthday. <gasps> oh no! Yeah, she was the youngest. Obviously, that is a really upsetting time for Marie. Yeah. And then on the 4th of June, 1789... Don't you tell me another person dies. The long-awaited Dauphin of France, Louis-Joseph Xavier, also died of tuberculosis. So now there isn't an heir to the throne, right? There is an heir because the other Louis, Louis Charles, now becomes the Dauphin of France. Two children of the same illness. How heartbreaking two children it's devastating for them it's absolutely yeah. devastating as it would be but also so many people at that time were dying of tuberculosis as well yes. so it was quite common in the 18th century and it actually ran through both of their families louis's father died of tuberculosis and so did his older brother oh. all of this just is so emotional to handle isn't it listening to it is just awful but Rach, we are talking about the royal family. There's bound to be some scandals, right? Was there any scandals attached to Marie Antoinette? Yeah, a scandal that really doesn't help things on the downfall of Marie Antoinette is called the Diamond Necklace Affair. Okay, what's this about? So in 1785, her popularity was at an all-time low. 
On her way to Notre Dame Cathedral following the birth of her second son, she was met with silence from the crowd compared to the birth of her first son, the Dauphin. Then came the scandalous diamond necklace affair. Why were the they car- silent though, Rach? She's given them an ear, she's given them everything that they wanted, and now they're being silent. Because she's spending all the money and they're ah, starving on the streets. They've got, got no bread to eat. I never really connected that thing together. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. So they're living this opulent lifestyle and there are people dying of hunger. The Cardinal de Rohan, who was a former ambassador, was determined to be brought back into royal favour. He was the French ambassador to Austria and after spreading gossip about Marie Antoinette and taking advice from her mother, she excluded Rohan from her inner circle. In 1784, he was introduced to a woman named Madame de la Motte, who claimed to be a close friend of the Queen's and promised she would restore him to favour. In 1772, Louis XV requested jewellers Boma and Bassinger to make a diamond necklace for Madame de Barry, who was his mistress at the time. It took several years to make, and by the time it was completed, the king had died. The jewellers had been trying to sell it for years, and Louis considered buying it for Marie Antoinette as a present after the birth of the Dauphin, but she declined. Well, she didn't like it to Barry, did she? So she wouldn't probably want a necklace that was supposed to be for her. She didn't want that necklace. Plus, also, at this point... France had become involved with the American War of Independence against Britain. And so it was seen as, I don't need more diamonds, let that money go somewhere else. Right. In January 1785, Madame de la Motte convinced the jewellers that the Queen had now decided to buy the necklace and had appointed Rohan to conduct the negotiations. Letters of correspondence between Marie and Rohan began, but it was de la Motte replying on behalf of the Queen. (gasps) As the tone of the letters became warmer, he convinced himself that Marie was in love with him. What? Yeah. He begged de Lamotte to arrange a secret visit with the Queen in the gardens at Versailles. He met a woman who he believed was Marie, but in fact was a prostitute hired by de Lamotte. Oh my goodness, this is so bad. Right, right. It, it gets worse. How did this get worse? The jewellers delivered the necklace to Rohan with a letter signed Marie Antoinette de France. The cardinal did not know that the French royals only signed by their given names. Because this was a forged letter. This is a forged letter. In July, the jewellers sent the Queen a letter for payment of the first installers. And Marie thought it was the jewellers again trying to sell the necklace. And so she burnt the letter thinking nothing of it. And this was Mm. actually witnessed by Madame Campen. It's like spam mail, isn't it? It's like, oh, (laughs) it's another spam. In August, while the court was waiting for Marie and Louis to go to chapel... Rohan was taken to them to explain himself. An investigation was launched and Madame de Lamotte was arrested, whipped and branded with the letter V for thief and given life imprisonment. But she escaped a year later to London. How did you escape? Like, wow. She apparently, she dressed up as a boy and managed to escape the prison. My goodness. Wow, just when you think they won't have any other left turns, right turns, it's just, there it is, it's like a Grand Prix. Rohan is also arrested and is judged, but Parliament amazingly acquitted him of any wrongdoing. So the necklace, the jewels are taken apart, so some are sold in London, some are sold in Paris, Mm. so it was dismantled. But we do have an image, and I put it up on our Instagram, of the necklace, of what it would have looked like. I mean, it is spectacular, but for the price that it was, I think it was valued at about two million livres at the time. It was just seen as non-consequential considering the ongoing war. Did this have an effect 
on the way in which the public saw Marie Antoinette thinking that she did buy this necklace. And did she ever get the recognition that she didn't buy it? She doesn't really get the recognition that she never bought it. It's just a rumour that's going around and around, not just Versailles, but the whole of Paris, really. And can you remember that painting that I mentioned before of the empty cradle with her children? That was actually used to garner sympathy from the public because they wanted her to come across as this wholesome person. She's a mother. She can't be that bad, can she? Because she's a person who loves her children and she's the mother of France. Regardless of public perception, Marie found this portrait too painful to look at. And so then it was taken down. So then that is more of a propaganda tool, would you say? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. At this point, her reputation is at an all-time low. Was she aware or is there any kind of inkling that she was just this big spender, shall we say? Did she have any emotional intelligence with what that had any consequences of? Or she literally just went out and spent and didn't care? The court of a site is very separated from the rest of the country and even from Paris. Versailles is, back in those days, it would have taken longer, about 40 minutes outside of Paris. And so it was like they were living in their own little world. They would hear things, but it wouldn't really have been in consequence of her because she wouldn't necessarily feel what the everyday person was feeling towards her. You would think, though, that Louis would sit down and say, look, I know I've got a privy purse, but you're spending like there's no tomorrow and we don't have that kind of money. This is what Mercy does, her ambassador to Austria. He says to her, there's concerns about your spending habits and she does cut back. But again, it's not just her, it's other members of the royal family. Mm. But it's all seen on her shoulders. So did she only have the one scandal? Was there any more that I need to kind of prep myself for? Yeah. In January 1774, she meets Axel von Fersen at a masked ball at the Paris Opera. He did not recognise who she was when he was chatting to her. And when he was officially introduced to her four years later at Versailles, she said, oh, he is an old acquaintance. He became a regular guest at parties at Petit Trainon and gossip started to circulate that more might be happening other than friendship. He left to participate in the American Revolution in 1779 and in her letter to his sister, he said, I cannot belong to the one person to whom I want to belong to and who loves me, so I do not wish to belong to anybody. Now, historians have questioned over the years if there was a romantic relationship Unfortunately, pages from his diaries and letters exchange have been destroyed, so there's no evidence, but this has been debated over time. And there has been rumours that he fathered one or more of her children, but again, nothing can be proven to the fact that this was true or not. He remained loyal to her until the end. She takes a lot of the negativity, doesn't she? Yeah. It's a little bit like on social media where women get judged more harshly. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about the road to revolution. France became involved in the American War of Independence in 1776 and was a massive contributor in their victory. However, as a cost, France accumulated over one billion livres of debt. which strains the nation's finances. Mm. Faced with a financial and political crisis, Louis was forced to convoke the Estates General, which consisted of the clergy, the nobility and the third estate. 
And the third estate is basically the bourgeoisie and the commoners. This had not been brought together since 1614. Presided over by Louis, there was a speech given by Netta, the finance minister, about the deficit, which proposed new taxes to cover it. The referred estate refused to submit to royal power and in June converts itself to the National Assembly. Louis tries to oppose by barring them entrance to where the meeting has taken place and the deputies pledge an oath, which is the founding act of French democracy. Oh, it's like a pack of cards coming down, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, everything's happening. Continuing unrest culminates in the storming of the Bastille, a fortress and a prison, followed on August the 4th of the abolition of the privileges of the nobility and on August the 26th, the declaration of the rights of man and of the citizen. Can I just ask, during this time, during the ramping up of the demise of the royal family, do we have any recollections or diary entries from Marie or from Louis depicting like what their mental state was at the time or what they thought about it all? So Louis didn't really keep a diary as such. He kept a hunting diary. So it's basically how many kills that he'd made on a particular day. It wasn't anything to do really with his feelings. Marie had apparently letters, but during the revolution, these were burned, as in she and her ladies would burn these letters. The letters we do have between her mother and her are the ones that we really focus on. But at this time, her mother had passed away. So those letters had stopped. And again, like you said, as we'll find out soon, a lot of things got destroyed and that happened. So that makes sense. Yeah. On the morning of the 5th of October, Louis is out hunting and Marie is at Petit Train on when news of a procession of over 6,000 women marching on Versailles demanding bread. So they're coming with their pitchforks. They're coming for the Queen's head. Yeah. The royal family are now together inside the palace and 20,000 men from the National Guard are sent to restore order and everyone goes to bed. Around six o'clock in the morning, the mob arrives at the palace and some of them find a gate that's left unguarded. They're searching for Marie's bedroom with plans to kill her. They want her head. Do you imagine being Marie Antoinette at that point? You can hear them outside. That must have been petrifying. Oh, absolutely. They must have been petrified. The guards start to retreat by bolting the doors and barricading hallways. And one of the guards is killed and his body is decapitated. <gasps> and then marching through the hallways of Versailles with pieces of his body on pipes. Oh, oh yeah. Rachel, that's barbaric. In a panic, Marie escapes through the inner rooms, gets the children and runs to the king's apartments. See, this is when those secret doors come into play. Come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> but there are screams and shouts of, to Paris. And Louis has no choice but to comply, saying, my children, you want me to follow you to Paris? And I will do so, but on condition that I will not be separated from my wife and children. And at one o'clock in the afternoon, they are forced to leave. And this is the last time they will ever see Versailles. Oh, wow. See, I don't know any of this. So I'm just so shocked. Obviously, it's a revolution. There's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be anarchy. It has to happen in order for that revolution to come into play. Yeah. But when you hear it, and obviously, I've been following the story of Marie Antoinette through your words, Rach, and I'm invested in this. I'm like, <laughs> and I know what happens at the end. At this point, the famous Sophia Coppola film, Marie Antoinette, this is where that film ends. This is when I was starting to research what happened after. What happened to her? The family is taken to the Tuileries Palace in Paris. And during this time, Louis falls into a deep depression. Marie has to take a lead on getting them out of what she calls their horrible position. She dispatches letters to Austria to intervene. She would not accept the new concept of the nation. 
she is accused of pushing Louis to reject reforms and acquires a new nickname, Madame Vito. Oh, wow. So it's getting a lot worse. In 1791, as the royal family are preparing to leave for St. Cloud, which is another royal residence, to attend Easter Mass, a crowd prevents their departure from Paris. Realising that they are no longer free determines for them to try and escape. Louis is hesitant, but he finally agrees, and an escape plan is put in place. Now, previously, there had been several plots designed to help the royal family escape, which Marie rejects because she would not leave Louis. Louis was quite an indecisive person, and so he was to and fro for a long time of whether to try and escape or not. And then after this happened, it was kind of like, we're not getting out of this. We need to try and do something. Yeah. Now we move on to what is known as the Flight to Varennes. And this happens during the night of the 20th of June in 1791. The goal was to travel to Montmondy, which had 10,000 soldiers of the old royal army because Scissors still loyal to the monarchy. The Dauphin, Louis, his governess, was to take the role as a Russian baroness. Marie and Louis and Louis' younger sister, Madame Elizabeth, playing the roles of governess and nurse and Louis a valet and obviously the two children. The escape was largely planned by Axel von Versen, who garnered support from the Swedish king, who wanted to help in the matter. He urged to use two carriages. However, Marie and Louis decide to use one, which is more conspicuous as it's Mm. drawn by six horses rather than two. Yeah. Due to the slow progression and time miscalculations, and with the need to change the horses, they stop in the local town of Rennes, Louis chats to villagers and Marie gives out silver dishes to local officials. I'm like, you're trying to escape. Why are you making yourself known? Like, what is going on? Yeah, like you said, though, they're so disconnected from the people that it makes no sense whatsoever. And some of the villagers actually recognise Louis from his portrait from some money. Yeah. They're arrested and they're taken back to Paris. And now the credibility of Louis is basically an all-time low as a constitutional monarch, as this had been seriously undermined. Yeah, it looks like he's deserted his country, right? Exactly. The failed escape attempt alarmed other European monarchs who feared revolutionary fever would spread to their countries. And the outbreak of the War of Austria threatened Paris if the royal family were to come to harm. Hearing this, on the morning of the 10th of August 1792, the Tuileries Palace is attacked by radicals and the National Assembly orders the royal family to the Temple Tower. Another horrible, absolutely shocking thing that happens is on the 3rd of September, the Princess de Lambeau, who is one of Marie Antoinette's closest confidants, she, along with other prisoners, was waiting to be taken to a tribunal, which demanded that she take an oath to love liberty and equality and to swear hatred to the king and queen and to the monarchy. And she says, readily to the former, but I cannot to the latter. It is not in my heart. I have nothing more to say. It is indifferent to me if I die a little earlier or later. I have made the sacrifice of my life. She's escorted out and there is a massacre taking place of other prisoners who refuse to take the oath and she's set upon by a mob. Her head is decapitated, stuck on a pike and her naked body is dragged through the streets of Paris. Stories are told of how her breasts and her private parts are cut off and that her body, what was left of it, was sexually assaulted. Oh, no. It's absolutely horrific. It's horrific. Now, the crowd's intention was to take her head to the temple 
for Marie to kiss the head of her one-time lover. Marie and Louis were upstairs when the head appeared outside the dining room, but the officers had the decency to close the shutters and to keep them away from the windows. And Marie-Therese, their daughter, accounts that her mother was frozen in horror and then she fainted when she heard the news of what had happened to her one-time friend. I think I would faint as well. You can Google this because there is actually a painting depicting this moment. So if you Google it, it's horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And again, she was made an example of. So in a way, it had to be brutal. It had to be barbaric, like I say, gruesome and unthinkable for them to get the message through that this is the Republic now. Yeah. You cannot like the royal family. And she was loyal to them until the very end. Oh. On December the 11th, 1792, Louis was taken away from his family and preparations for his trial went underway. To secure his conviction, his accusers were counting on compromising documents which revealed secret negotiations between Louis and Legion figures in the revolution. Many felt that the death sentence was unjustifiable and supported life imprisonment. Banishment from France was also considered, but finally the convention pronounced the death sentence. He asked for three days to prepare himself, but was refused, and his execution was set for the next day. <gasps> On the evening before his execution, the family was allowed down to his apartment. They had not seen him for six weeks. He describes the trial to them, and he asked them to forgive the people that were putting him to death. They were all inconsolable with grief and it only persuaded them to leave by promising to see them the next morning. Now, the next morning comes around and the family hear the cortege leaving the temple at around 8.30. Then at 10.22, drums are heard and cries of Viva la Republic. Louis is guillotined. Oh, then they didn't have that morning. They, they didn't, didn't have that last again. moment. No, his last words were, I die innocent of all the crimes of which I'm accused. I pardon the authors of my death and pray to God the blood you're about to shed will never fall upon France. He was faithful to the end within his own religion as well. No? Within his own religion, yeah, yeah, exactly. Marie is now known as Widow Capet. One of his last attendants, clergy, was given Louis's wedding rings and he said to him he only parted it with his life. So he would not be parted with it any other time. And there was also a parcel containing locks of his family's hair, which were so precious to him. And he was also able to contain a copy of Louis' will. Now, in this will, he says, I commend my children to my wife. I have never doubted her maternal tenderness for them. I enjoin her above all to make them good Christians. I beg my wife to forgive all the pain which she has suffered for me and the sorrows which I have may have caused her in the course of our union. And she may feel sure that I hold nothing against her if she has anything which to reproach herself. Royal community, I'm making a, uh, a sad face behind the <laughs> microphone. You can't see it. Oh. On July the 3rd, 1793, the conventions decide to take away her son, little Louis Charles, who technically is now king, right? Yeah. Not in a revolution, though. No. The aim was to use him as a hostage who might be useful as a bargaining tool against foreign armies. Mm. They also wanted to, what they call, re-educate him away from the influence of his family. Marie-Therese, and a lot of this information, there is a memoir, which I will link in the description, so you can read all about this yourself, recounts that little Louis flung himself into his mother's arms, crying and screaming. My mother told them that they would have to kill her before they could tear her from her child. The guards threatened not only to kill Louis, but also Marie-Therese and Elizabeth. 
And so she relented him to them and they could hear him for two days crying after they were separated. She would peer through a little crack in a window so she could catch a sight of him whenever he was taken for his daily walks. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. He was placed in a room below the family into the care of a shoemaker named Simon and his wife. He was taught revolutionary songs and made to drink wine. At this time, he has spent half of his life in captivity. How old is he at this point, Rach? At this point, he's eight years old. Oh, love him. Before he was taken away, he was once caught masturbating by Marie and reprimanded by her. And when Simon caught him doing it, he blamed his mother and his aunt Elizabeth. Simon tried to twist it and make Louis say that his mother and aunt had sexually assaulted him which never, ever took place. But this was one of the things that was used against her in her trial. Yeah. She was put on trial just like Louis, but this was basically a sham trial, a show trial, because her fate had already been decided. Mm -hmm. She identified herself as Marie Antoinette of Lorraine and Austria, widow of the King of France, refusing to use the name Widow Capet. She was cross-examined for two days, accused of being the chief instigator of the treason of Louis XVI, questioned over the failed escape of Rennes, questioned about sexually abusing little Louis, in which she says, if I have not replied, it is because nature itself refuses to respond to such charge laid against a mother. I appeal to all mothers who may be present. And a murmur of sympathy was heard because the mothers were like, well, yeah, who would ever do that to their own child? Yeah. At four o'clock in the morning of October the 15th, she was found guilty of collaborating in secret dealings with foreign powers and of plotting and conspiring to ignite a civil war within the Republic. Back in her cell, she's allowed writing materials and she uses them to write her last letter to Madame Elizabeth. She heads it October the 16th. 4.30 in the morning. This, in summary of what the letter says, it is to you, my sister, that I write for the last time. I have just been condemned not to a shameful death, for such is only for criminals, but to go and rejoin your brother. Innocent like him, I hope to show the same firmness in my last moments. I am calm as one is when one's conscience reproaches one with nothing. I feel profound sorrow in leaving my poor children. You know that I only live for them and for you, my good and tender sister. She goes on to ask Elizabeth to forgive little Louis of his accusations and declares that she dies in the Catholic faith of which she's been brought up in. Farewell, my good and tender sister. May this letter reach you. Think always of me. I embrace you with all my heart as I do my poor children. My God, how heartrending it is to leave them forever. Farewell. Farewell. I must now occupy myself with my spiritual duties as I am not free in my actions. Perhaps they will bring me a priest, but I here protest that I will not say a word to him, but that I will treat him as a total stranger. We know from an account by her servant, Rosalie, that she wouldn't eat anything, saying, I no longer have need of anything, my child. Everything is over for me. She finally accepts a few mouthfuls of broth. She is forbidden from wearing her black morning dress and changes into a white chemise under the eyes of the guard. They wouldn't even let her do this in private in her last moments. She added a white linen cap and she added a black thread through it. So that was like her morning piece of clothing that she could wear. The executioner comes into her cell, ties her hands behind her back. Her hair was then cut off and she's made to sit in a cart instead of a carriage and forced to sit facing backwards as a sign of shame. 
there's huge crowds that gather and they're shouting as the car is going past they're shouting death to the Austrian woman but she would remain dignified to the end she doesn't say anything she doesn't show any emotion and when the cortege reaches their place the revolution which is now called place of the concord she descends unaided from the car she accidentally treads on the executioner's foot and she says I beg your pardon monsieur and those are her last words she is attached to a plank and the guillotine falls and Marie Antoinette dies aged 37 at 12.15 on October the 16th, 1793. Rach, that's definitely the fall of Marie Antoinette, isn't it? I want you to kind of just get your overall feeling about her as a person and how you feel about knowing her story now. To this day, she's one of the most prolific people of the 18th century. Everybody knows who Marie Antoinette is, probably more so than they know her husband, Louis XVI. But I think she made bad decisions along the way. She overspent. She didn't really understand what was going on with the people outside of her side. She didn't understand what their predicaments were. They were starving. And so you can understand why the revolution took place. There was talks of maybe sending her to America and that she could live out her life. But then in a way, it was like, why does she get to do that when we have suffered? They, they felt like there needed to be some kind of justice. Yeah, And exactly. their deaths created that. But I also think she didn't have political say. She was basically seen as the scapegoat for Louis, who was mm. making the bad decisions, who wasn't reacting fast enough to what his advisors were telling him. But then the advisors that were telling him were part of the nobility. So how can they act in the defence of the common man? To be honest, I think we see that a lot with power, when power becomes skewed, it's because they're not listening to the masses. They think they know what is best. They think they know what is actually happening on the ground, but they live in this gilded cage. Mm-hmm. And making the decisions from that gilded cage actually mars and shelters them from the actual realities. And from that, we also see that they make those decisions But then I think the propaganda tool, for instance, with the pictures and then also looking back at the scandals, there were a lot of scandals throughout the whole of the time that she was a Dauphine of France. Am I saying that correct? Yeah. 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 So it was like a running train of doom, if that makes sense. There was one thing after another thing after another thing. To start off with, Louis did not help her. It seemed like she had no support. And then she just became this, I don't know, like overspending, disconnected person that thought, if I'm in this cage, then I'm going to make the best of it. But actually, underneath all that, I think they were all trapped. And their biggest downfall was not listening to the people. There's always going to be more power to the people because there's more of them. It's it's so unfortunate, actually, but it was always supposed to be that way because looking at their behaviour, they couldn't have carried on like that. She was actually a very charitable person. She was a great supporter of charities for women that were unwed. She was patron of the arts and it's really misfortunate that was her end. So that's the life of Marie Antoinette. If you want to know more about the history of Marie Antoinette, because this is just a brief overview. Obviously, there's so much more that you can read about her life. I will link in the show notes the book The Journey by Antonia Fraser, 
which is the biography that Sofia Coppola used, which was based on the film, which is probably the most well-known account of Marie Antoinette, of what we know of her today. I also link some other books in the show notes of what I've read over the years and I found interesting. There's also the BBC series that has recently aired this last year. I'm not sure if it's available in all countries, but we'll also put a link to that because, again, although in places not historically accurate, it's still nice to watch a series that involves Marie Antoinette. We hope you enjoyed this special episode all about Marie Antoinette. Like I say, this is one of the topics that I know is so passionate for Rachel. And I've been saying, we need to do a special on it. So we thought, yeah, let's um, have a real deep dive into the rise and fall of this really historical figure. And we have been debunked. She did not say, let them eat cake. I will stop saying that now. But yeah, thanks so much for putting all this information together, Rachel. It's like absolutely fascinating. I've only watched half of that Marie Antoinette film. So I didn't know any of this, especially in this episode. I knew nothing about what you were saying. And it was, it's heartbreaking. It really is to hear their story. If you ever do get the chance to visit Versailles, I would 100% recommend it because you really get a feel of what it would have been like for her in her mm-hmm. everyday life. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable to us. Well, you were actually walking in her footsteps. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely unimaginable to us of what that life would even entail. But hopefully you've got a little snapshot from listening to these two episodes of her life and maybe you've taken away something from it. And I hope you enjoyed the episodes. Absolutely. Next week, we've got our Royal Fashion Special. So make sure you tune in next week because we're so excited to bring that to you. If you would love to support the podcast, you can over on Kofi, K-O-F-I. You're more than welcome to go over and buy Rachel and I a cup of coffee, which is about £4, six bucks. And that helps us keep the podcast on the air. There's also an option to become part of the VR IP Royal community as well for extra content. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Keeping Up the Windsors Pod, and you can also email us at keepingupthewindsorspod at gmail.com. And make sure to spread the word and share our podcast with anybody else you know who loves the Royals just as much as we do. And whilst you're there, why not review our podcast five stars over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Thank you so much for being here. We will see you next week on Keeping Keep Up, Up with the Windsors. Windsors.